0: Welcome to Crossroads, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and Christian living. Crossroads is part of the media ministry at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. Get to know us by visiting us online at FAPC.org.
1: Hi, I'm Jamie Staley, Director of Christian Education at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Welcome back to our Crossroads podcast. We've been on a bit of a break, uh, but I'm excited to be spending the next three months talking about our relationship with God's creation. Uh, This is in coordination with our sermon series that our clergy will be giving uh, this fall. So if you haven't had a chance, uh, I hope that you will take some time to also listen to the sermon series, um, either in person, via live stream, or on our podcast. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Derek Weston. Derek is a freelancer working at the intersection of food and faith, a regular columnist on Presbyterians Today, the host of the Food and Faith podcast and the producer of the documentary series called Wilderness Like Eden, uh, which we'll be talking a little bit about uh, here today. I am really excited um, to be talking to Derek today about food justice uh, as well as gardening because I know that he enjoys a bit of that. Um, So thank you so much for joining me today, Derek.
0: Yeah, happy to be here.
1: I brought uh, several of our youth down to Baltimore, which is where you live, actually, um, this past summer, and we did some gardening with uh, a couple different community gardens, um, and It was really neat to see our youth uh, learning about that intersection of um, food and faith and kind of what that means uh, today. Can you, how did you get interested in this work of food justice and gardening?
0: Yeah, so I have been gardening kind of off and on all of my life. Um, I I, I have very vivid memories of my grandfather when I was very little. Paying me a quarter to go out and water his garden for him, <laughs> um, hmm. and that was kind of yeah. I was like that's that's a like, kind of kind of a weird core memory for me. Um, my, but my I, but children
1: I, would demand more. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, in, inflation. That, yeah, was, yeah. that was that was the eighties. Um, but uh, you know, just kind of always really loved that space and and was always into nature. Um, I you know I, I kind of was a. Container like backyard container gardener in various places that I lived, um, and then in twenty fifteen, kind of going through a rough period of my life, uh, moved to Baltimore and had this space where I could garden. Had this space backyard space, and it really was. Um, it was really cathartic. It was really therapeutic. Like, it really was healing for me to have my hands in the dirt and kind of, like, re, like really be grounded, like, literally grounded. Um, and as I, as I was gardening and just kind of, like, doing this thing that I kind of thought was for my own, you know, mental health and spiritual health, uh, once you start down the road of, like, really getting invested in gardening, you start to really think... I've I found that for a lot of people you really start to think about food issues. You really start to think about where does food come from, all the work that come, goes into making food. I mean, when you when you pour your heart and a soul into a tomato plant and realize that you only <laughs> got two tomatoes that season, you start to think about, wait a minute, okay, how do we get all of the tomatoes that we have? Um, that must be a lot of work. Um, so you start to think about, you know, who's, who's putting food on our plates? What's, you know... Um, uh, where is it coming from, what's that doing to the land? Um, and then at the, around that time, I read a wonderful book called The Color of Food by a woman named Natasha Bowens, uh, which is just sort of a photo journal of various um, groups of people of color uh, kind of reconnecting to the land and recognizing that there's all these kind of historical traumas that are connected to the land, whether you talk about... Um, indigenous genocide, whether you talk about the enslavement of Africans, or you talk about sort of the migrant workers in the Hispanic community, that there's been this, these kind of traumas in communities of color that, that are connected to the land. And I started just kind of connecting all of these dots that all of these justice issues I really cared about had food components to them and had, you know, um, these, these really, uh, deep connections to land. Um, and so that's really how that got started for me. And, and then I had the great experience in, I think it was 2017 of being a part of the Regenerate Fellowship at Wake Forest Divinity School, just being around a bunch of other like-minded folks. Um, they do a, they, they did a week long fellowship on food, faith, and ecology. I don't know what the state of that is now, but just spending a week with, um, Fred Bonson, who is the coordinator of that and, I'm um, getting to hear a little from Hubert Brown and Christopher Carter, who's become uh, a friend and been on my podcast. Um, Just these folks who are like really thinking deeply about these connections of food and faith. And I felt very, um. it was like one of those moments where you're like, oh, I found my people. Mm. Um, I found the people who are speaking my language. And that was a really good experience.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I uh I have I have a small garden and um, my tomatoes have not yet turned red, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm not entirely sure what I've done wrong. But I don't know. So yeah, I have all sorts sometimes, of questions about.
0: <laughs> yeah, sometimes you can take them off the plant and like put them in a brown paper bag, and they will ripen off the vine. What? Um, so there, there you go. Little little go. gardening trick for everyone.
1: That is a little gardening trick. Thank you so much. <laughs> so what areas are you, what areas, I, you know, I know when I introduced you, um, all of those things, uh, you know, are related to, to food and um, uh, food and faith. What areas are you currently working in in, in, in regards to food justice?
0: Yeah. So I am, uh, I'm actually, uh, we mentioned uh, A Wilderness Like Eden. It's a, a film documentary series. Um, we, we, I worked with my friend Jason on that, and we had this kind of grand plans for this documentary, and then the pandemic hit, and we, um, didn't quite make the film that we want, we planned, but we made this 15-minute piece that, uh, you can find on YouTube, just, uh, type in a wilderness like Eden, um... About four different food-based ministries and the ways that they kind of pivoted during during the pandemic. Um, from that, uh, one of the ministries that we highlighted was the Black Church Food Security Network, which is headquartered here in in the Baltimore area and led by um, Reverend Heber Heber Brown III. Um, and he's just a dynamic man. Um, the Black Church Food Security Network uh, is really doing the work of connecting um, people in black churches with black farmers, kind of in the in the rural southeast, and creating markets for those farmers and creating access to healthy vegetables and healthy produce for those churches. Um, and, and so much of my work, um, you know, I, I, in the last year or so, I've developed a course named after that book by Natasha Bowens called The Color of Food that's about food and race. And really recognizing that there is sort of this racialized component to what's on our plate, whether that's because of heritage, whether that's because of geography, um, and recognizing that the, you can kind of trace, particularly with. Um, Well, actually, with with a lot of uh, ethnic groups in this country, you can kind of trace a history of kind of what's going on in the country with what's happening with food and recognizing that, you know, enslavement was a um, was an agricultural act that Africans were enslaved because of their um, agricultural acumen. Um and that, you know, oftentimes we're sold the bill of goods that it was unskilled labor, but you don't bring unskilled labor to build your country. Um people had, you know, just real deep genius around agriculture and those were the folks who were enslaved. Um and other other crafts and skills. But um and just kind of really diving into um these these issues of of the racial justice that kind of connect with food justice because that's a that's a big issue. Um, you know, there's there's places that we have designated as food deserts around our country, um, and there's a lot of folks in the Black community that have stopped using the term food desert and start saying food apartheid, recognizing that it's a man, it's a human made system um, that there's some intention behind it as to who has access to good food and who doesn't. And recognizing that because it's a human-made system, there can be human uh, interventions and human uh, solutions to it. So that's, that's that's some of the work that I'm doing now. Uh, that's some of the work that's um, been occupying a lot of my time recently.
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you uh, answered. That was going to be my next question was about the difference between the terms um, Uh, food apartheid and food desert uh, because it seems like that has been making a a switch and it sounds like it's an important change for us to keep in our minds um
0: yeah and i I would just i would just add you know the idea of a food desert um first off deserts are naturally occurring right right and so the idea that there's a food desert you know (laughs) kind of puts in our image that oh that place has never had access to good food, and <laughs> yeah. it's and that's 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 naturally occurring that way. It's yeah. like no no no, that's that's it's by design. Um, the other piece that I think is important is that it's not that old a term, and it was it was created by a research firm in 1996, um, and or, or maybe it's even. Maybe it's later. Maybe it's two thousand six. But it's not that old a term. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and it was it was created by a research firm, um, and who were doing research on on these neighborhoods. So it was an outsider term. And and so, I think it's it's important that we listen to the language of people who are in these areas, as opposed to the language that's being forced upon them, um, because that's that's a part of. Um, you know, even with good intentions, that can be sort of the the continuation of, of kind of colonialist mindsets. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Interesting. So our sermon series uh, this fall, um, our senior pastor is 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 hoping to um, talk about you know God's creation and, and how we care for it and how we care for the people uh, within it. Um, so, what where do you see that intersection of faith? with food justice how does that play together
0: yeah yeah um man it's it's all through the bible um and and i i i had a conversation with someone uh around this uh last summer and i i caught myself saying something sometimes i catch myself saying things and i'm like wow look back later and go wow that was smart um (laughs) good. but Um, the thing I said was I don't understand how the church got so obsessed with sex when the Bible is obsessed with food Hmm. from, from the door, everything is about food. It's the, the first creation stories are about what we're allowed to eat, who has access to food. Um, the first sin is about what we're, what we're you know, not allowed to eat what we can eat. Um, we, we then see Cain and Abel, you know, engaged in various kinds of agriculture and kind of setting the stage for civilization. Um, but food is everywhere. And, and, you know, Jesus was feeding people constantly. Um, the, the feeding of the multitudes is one of the stories that we thought was important enough to put in all four Gospels. Jesus' birth wasn't important enough to put in all four (laughs) Gospels, you know? Like, the feeding of the the multitudes was. Um, Partially because I think there's just no way to get at people's spiritual needs without dealing with their physical needs. Um, And I think the early church understood that. And you see one of the early controversies in the church is sort of this disparity between... Um, people who have and people who don't have, and Paul calls them out on those who are feasting and getting drunk at the Lord's Supper when there are those who don't have any food at all. Um, so this, this is a thread that kind of weaves throughout, throughout Scripture, and is, um, you know, we, when we talk about what, what does justice look like, Isaiah talks about, um, you know, in, in case people thought that this just came from Hamilton, you know, everyone having their own... <laughs> vine and fig (laughs) tree is like that's that's a biblical illusion that came comes from isaiah and repeated in micah that what justice looks like is everyone having access to their not not just food but their their means of food and and the connection to food and i think what's what's really um important here is that like for some people the connection between food and nature is harder to see, and I think that's a big problem um, because we're so divorced from where our food comes from. You know, we think about food, like we think about something that's prepackaged, that's frozen, that's freeze dried, and and we don't think about a field. We don't think about a, a farmland. We don't think about cattle grazing. We don't think about fish swimming. Um, and eating is actually our most intimate connection to the created world. It's our most intimate connection to creation. Um, and, you know, so I, I think that when we start thinking about our role as, as stewards of creation, Um, which is the role that we're given, sort of the first job that we're given by God. Um, Part of that has to be thinking about how we produce food, who has access to food, um, what we're doing to the land in the process of making food, um, what we're doing to each other in the process of making food. Um, You know, when when we're serving each other foods that are covered in pesticide, is that loving? Not not really. Um, We're serving each other foods that are loaded in sodium and fat. Like, is that loving? Probably not. Um, So, you know, I I think there's, there's, and then again, like, food is unifying, right? Like, the idea that we we talk about that, you know, sort of our, our eschatological vision of what the world will be is all of us gathered around a table, people coming from North, South, East, and West to gather around a table. Like that's, that's unifying and it's equalizing because we all have to eat. And, and this table that we imagine in our communion liturgies is this community, is this table of equals, this table of, of, of humanity, where we're all on the same page. We're all, um, recognizing the image of God in each other's faces. So, um, you know, and I I could go on and on and on about this, but um, I would would commend everyone to the work of Ellen Davis. She wrote a wonderful book called Scripture, Culture, and Agriculture, um, where she really dives deep into these connections between um, just really just kind of does the work of just um, picking out scriptures and really seeing how much... Food is just so central to celebrations and observances and rituals and things like that that are just um, shaping for the way that our life of faith can can be lived
1: when we were in Baltimore last month uh, when I was there with the youth, um, I think one of the most meaningful things that that uh, that we did that we did was we picked fruit uh, at a i don 't remember where it was we picked fruit off a tree and uh <laughs> Clearly, I am a great gardener, um, and uh, and and we were at we we then went to a, a food pantry, and we were able to directly put the fruit into bags that were going to people, and it was just so interesting to see the kids like recognize that like it came from a tree, and it is literally going directly to a person without any stops in between, because yeah. that's so rare for you know, for us to see you know something come directly from a garden or a tree or a plant and go directly to a person.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I mean I I delivered a box of produce this morning and like I, I was I was in a rush and 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 like, you know, they're getting the carrots that still have dirt <laughs> on them, you know? Like they're yes. you know, like every like there is no question about the freshness of the produce yes. that they're getting. Um <laughs> and, and and I think, you know, again that 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 forces, you know, Kind of neurons to fire and make connections of like, oh, what am I eating that I can't trace to a farm?
1: Mm.
0: What am I eating that I can't trace to like a pasture or a a a a tree or Mm -hmm. or the water? You know, like, and so you know, I think it's great, you know, to have young people, especially, make those connections. I think that's super important um, because then they begin to ask. big important questions
1: yeah yeah the other speaking of carrots they also at at um one of the gardens picked carrots and then the gardener had offered that they could eat them and the kids were like do we just eat them (laughs) (laughs) yes it was was very baffling for them (laughs) so that was that was a fun experience um (laughs) I know you're in the process of writing a book. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yes, I can. Writing a book is not fun. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, actually, actually, I'm having a blast. Um, oh, good. It's, just, it's just I alternate between having a blast and, and banging my head against the wall. <laughs> um, so I am working with uh, Anna Wolfenden, who uh, I, I co host the Food and Faith podcast with, on a book called The Just Kitchen. Invitations to Sustainability, Cooking, Connection, and Celebration. And what we're really looking at is the ways in which people bring the things that they care about deeply into what they cook. Um, Whether that's um, how you source your food, whether that's cooking food from your heritage, cooking foods that have been passed down from generations, whether that's... um, cooking for groups of people, um, cooking with groups of people, which um, not everyone likes to do. Some people are like, this is my (laughs) kitchen, get out, my space. Um, and and just really recognizing that, you know, kind of in, in this day where cooking has been outsourced largely to large corporations to cook for us, um, Cooking kind of becomes an act of resistance, and an act of celebration, and an act of community, and um, and an act of love. You know, like I, I, you know, one of the things that I think, uh, so a lot of a lot of what's coming out of this book are from interviews that we've done on the podcast, and and kind of a recurring theme is just the ways that people experience love either by cooking for someone or having been cooked
1: uh,
0: Hmm. for uh, not being cooked themselves, but like (laughs) having someone cook for them, you know? Uh, Yeah. That, that got weird. Um, But, but the, but that, that's, that's a, that's a real way that people experience love. And, you know, um, my friend Hugh Halliwell is one of the people that we quote in the book and, and he's, and he talks about the ways that like, you know, growing up in Mississippi, that there were people who didn't know how to say I love you other than through the meals that they made. Hmm. And, like, that's, that's a profound statement. Like, that's really, like, a, a, a deep um, connection that, that can be made through that. So that's, that's what we are writing. Um, it's, it's really been interesting because it makes me more reflective when I'm cooking – um, I it's made I think my wife has enjoyed this project because I've been cooking more. Um, <laughs> all right but but also' just I've been way more reflective in my cooking of like what what am I what am I doing and like thinking about cooking for my children and cooking for my wife and cooking for myself and wanting things that are healthy and delicious and that bring us to a table and like how just so many of the things that I care about kind of coalesce in that kitchen. So that's what we're working on.
1: Oh, that sounds really awesome. So you'll have to keep me posted on when that
0: comes I, out I, I on will. Facebook.
1: I'm sure I'll see it on Facebook.
0: I, I will. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully uh, around next spring.
1: Oh, sweet. Awesome. So I know folks, uh, you know, I feel like we we talk about things like food justice and we talk about, you know, these intersections and then people are like, so what, what do I do You know, now that I know that this is a thing, uh, what can I do? (laughs) Do you have any ideas, tips?
0: Oh yeah. Um, I mean, not to shamelessly self-promote, but, (laughs) um, I, have had so many great conversations on the food and faith podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, and there were the, the show, um, started two years before I started to host. Mm -hmm. So there were great conversations on it before I I started (laughs) on it. Um, but there are so many people who have made these connections between food and faith and just hearing their stories is really inspiring. Um, so I would, I would commend that to people. Um, you know, I, you know, I am a, um, I'm a firm believer that there is no such thing as a green thumb and I would encourage people to grow stuff and like the 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 miracle of seeing a tomato pop up on a vine even if it hasn't changed color yet like the the miracle of seeing something go from a seedling to something that then becomes edible um it's something that we shouldn't take for granted and it's something that, again that we are we have distanced ourselves so far from that i think even just that simple act of having a little container garden of growing herbs in a windowsill. Like I think even just those little acts can, can be really grounding and really important. Um, learn about, learn about the food geography in your community. Um, learn about, um, where are the, the, the places that have been designated food deserts and who lives there. Um, and 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 maybe like in places like Baltimore, like where you can, where you can draw the lines from places that were redlined, to and places that have you know these food desert designations, and realize that those things were were deeply connected and deeply a part of each other. Um, so do do some of that work of 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 who's, um, of of kind of learning the food geography um I would I would uh, I would encourage people to go to farmers markets and go to farms um, visit like get to know a farmer like because the people who are farming in 2022 um, you're you're gonna meet some of the most interesting people. In the world, because it's not an easy job. It's never been an easy job. <laughs> yeah. But it's certainly not an easy job in 2022. But, um. But you'll meet, particularly if you're if you're going to like an organic farm, uh, where people are are or a farm where people are concerned with regenerative regenerative agricultural practices. You'll meet people who care so deeply about the land. Care so deeply about. Um, the quality of the food they're producing. They care so deeply about animals, um, even the animals that they're raising to become meat. Like they care so deeply about them. Um, so I, you know, I, I say just like the little things you can do to reconnect to the food system, so that it's not just this thing that your only connection to is the grocery store or, or even like DoorDash, <laughs> um, yes. like, uh, and that's no slam on DoorDash. I, <laughs> I, I, I use them frequently, but, I do too. uh, uh, there it's, it's lovely. Um, but, but again, I think we, we need to, we need to find those other connections to our, what's happening yeah. in our food system. Yeah,
1: definitely. Well, thank you so much. Any other, any other, uh, things that you think would be important for folks to know about, about this?
0: Uh, You know, I guess one other place that I will, um, I will always, you know, I, I am, uh, first and foremost, um, you know, a, a believer and, um, I, I'm always going to challenge the church. Um, we own so much land. As, as, as a denomination, we own so much land. As mainline Christianity in the United States, we own so much land. And so much of that land we are, are using as lawn. And I, I think that lawn is terrible. <laughs> I, I think that lawn, lawn is such a... Lawn, I mean, literally, if you look at the history of lawns, lawns come from a time... Where aristocracy could say, we're so rich that we don't actually have to grow food on this piece of land. Yes. We can just let it be we can just <laughs> let it be grass. Yeah. That is that is what lawn has always been meant to communicate. Um and so i just I always want to want to challenge the church to think about so many of us have lawns, so many of us have commercial kitchens, so many of us have access to buildings and vans and things like that where we could be thinking more creatively about the food system in our areas um, and so i just i i just kind of throw that out there as as just kind of a food for thought kind of thing of um you know in a, in this time when you know we're, we're coming off the end of a pan well we're still very much in the pandemic <laughs> um my son my son's just getting over covid oh, no. um um but like we we had a season where our church building sat empty for a lot of us for a long period of time, and which brought a lot of things into question. I think for many of us, and and how we use our space, how we how we um, are stewards of that space when land is at such a premium these days. Um, I think we should just we should be more strategic and thoughtful and faithful with how we use our land and the properties that we get.
1: Yeah. That that makes a lot of sense. Uh, You'll be happy to hear that fifth Avenue Presbyterian church does not have any lawn.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I imagine that you're probably in a space where you don't have a whole lot of like, you know, there
1: is in fact no lawn, (laughs) but you know,
0: (laughs) we have Uh, a lot of other
1: resources that we could use. You know, we do have a rooftop terrace and we have a commercial kitchen.
0: (laughs) Yeah, those so, are beautiful assets.
1: They are, they are. So, um, well, thank you so much for joining me today. I, um, I'm excited this fall to be looking at, at, uh, you know. God and the environment, I guess, is kind of the theme, but also like how does that play into, you know, our everyday lives with food and food justice. Um, and I will encourage folks to definitely go look and see, cause there are maps out there. You can Google them real easily to find out where food deserts are in New York City. That's, a, you know, it's New York City. It's a pretty easy one to Google. Um, and just to, you know, even kind of research your own neighborhood and, and your community and where you live and, um, find that out. So thank you so much, Derek, for joining me today.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you for listening to Crossroads. Managing Editor, Jamie Staley, and Editors, Ashina Brisbane and Emily Dombroff.